Hey everyone, I'm Andrea Ferretti, and this is episode 265 of Yoga Land. I've gotten so much great feedback on the meditations from last week, and I'm really so pleased that they are helpful to you. This week, the focus of the meditations is self-compassion. And if you've ever meditated with me before, you know this is one of my favorite topics. A lot of the research was spearheaded by a professor named Kristen Neff, and I'm rerunning an episode from a few years ago today about the amazing benefits of self-compassion based on her work. So please give this one a listen. It sets the stage for the other two meditations that are coming this week. Okay, enjoy it. So today I wanted to talk about the practice and the importance of self-compassion and some of the research that's been done about it. I am most familiar with compassion and the teachings around it from the Buddhist tradition. It also appears in the Yoga Sutra. It's the Sanskrit word for it is Karuna. And I was really excited a few months ago when I came across self-compassion in some Western psychology studies. I have always had a strong interest in psychology and positive psychology and Buddhist psychology. And I'm just, it makes me really happy that these different modalities, including yoga wisdom, are becoming more and more interwoven and integrated. So I want to talk about my understanding of self-compassion and my thoughts on how to include it in your yoga practice and why it's so beneficial. I think a lot of you will relate to this. When I was growing up, it was always thought that the best thing you could do for your child was to nurture their self-esteem. You wanted to raise a child who had a high sense of regard for themselves, and you did this by validating and praising your child when he or she achieved things. So my parents did this for me, and yet I always found that my sense of self-esteem was not completely stable. You know, sometimes I felt like I had really high self-esteem and I felt good about myself and sometimes I had really low self-esteem. And now I understand that what psychologists are thinking now is that this is the case because high self-esteem relies very much on the external validation of others. In fact, so much so that Getting validation just from our parents isn't enough. We look for it from our teachers. Then later, as we grow, we look for it from our bosses. Then we look for it from our partners. We look for it from our friends. And as all of you out there who are listening to this podcast know, for many of us, it wasn't until we stepped on a yoga mat and a teacher told us to look inside that we realized there was another way to to gain validation. The other thing about high self-esteem is that it can create what's called the better than average effect, which is the need to feel superior to others just to feel okay about oneself. And it can lead to narcissism, which I think we can all agree we don't need any more narcissism in our current society and culture. What's also interesting is that having quote unquote high self-esteem doesn't appear to have the benefits that psychologists used to think that it would. So Kristen Neff says that self-esteem does not appear to improve academic or job performance, to improve leadership skills, or to prevent children from smoking, drinking, taking drugs, and engaging in early sex. Bullies are as likely to have high self-esteem as others, and in fact, hassling other people and putting them down is one way that bullies feel good about themselves. 
people with high self-esteem are just as prejudiced, if not more so, than those who dislike themselves. They are also just as aggressive and engage in antisocial behavior like cheating as often as people with low self-esteem do. So that way way of nurturing ourselves and our children and relating to ourselves seems to not exactly be panning out. Self-compassion, on the other hand, is sort of the new approach. So let's let's actually start with compassion as it's taught in the Buddhist teachings. I just think it's interesting to juxtapose them. Compassion in the Buddhist teaching is thought to be when you wish for another being to be free from suffering, regardless of how you feel about that person. So whether they are your best friend or someone who you don't really like a whole lot, it doesn't matter. You can empathize with them and wish them well. Self-compassion is similar. It's just obviously directed toward yourself. And Kristen Neff defines self-compassion as being kind to yourself, understanding that your behaviors are normal and common instead of feeling isolated, and having a mindful, balanced reaction to adversity. So when I read this, I thought to myself, this is really amazing because these are, to me, the exact characteristics that I think having an active yoga and meditation practice can help you cultivate. You know, there's that saying that happiness is an inside job. And I think the practice of self-compassion is a great starting place for cultivating that inner happiness, right? So being kind to yourself, having perhaps some community in your yoga room or in your meditation group, knowing that your thoughts and your behaviors are normal instead of feeling isolated, and then learning to pause and have a neutral reaction while you're doing your yoga practice or your meditation practice to your thoughts and to your, you know, your emotions, learning to pause. You can really bring that pause and that sense of neutrality really with you when you go through a perceived failure. And to me, one of the other things I really like about self-compassion is that we can learn to hold ourselves in the regard that we really need. You know, we all need to feel loved. We all need to feel like we're okay. We all need to feel validated. And if you can start to get quiet and cultivate that in your moments of practice, you can really feel the benefits of giving that love and that regard to yourself. And if you're not there yet, that's that's okay too. That sort of mirroring regard of, it's called unconditional positive regard, is something that a, a therapist relationship can give to you as well if you are not there yet. So according to Kristen Neff's work, the direct benefits of self-compassion are increased happiness, optimism, curiosity, and connectedness, decreased anxiety, depression, rumination, and fear of failure. So I thought this was interesting because, and, and they've also found in classroom studies that students who considered themselves to be self-compassionate are more motivated to learn and grow for intrinsic reasons, right? So I think that some people might fear that self-compassion could lead to being too easy on oneself and could lead you to kind of lose your edge or lose your motivation to achieve. And apparently that is really not the case. So when people who consider themselves to be self-compassionate fail, they are more able to admit mistakes, 
modify behaviors, and take on new challenges. So let's get to the practice. How can you practice self-compassion in your yoga and meditation practice and then in, in your life? For me, the most obvious starting place is to bring your awareness to your constant internal narrative. And if you have a consistent sitting meditation practice, you, you are already doing this and you're noticing already your monkey mind and just how much negative, <laughs> negative stuff your mind can produce in a short span of time. You don't always have to believe your mind. And I think meditation trains us to do this, but you can, you can do this in your yoga practice too. You can start to notice your internal narrative and where it's negative, where you're unkind to yourself. And then you can start to notice it too in the quiet moments in your everyday life. So notice the narrative, get quiet so that you're not always yoked to it, right? So that you're not always, you can witness it, step back from it and either sort of turn the thoughts around or let the thoughts go. Even being kind to the thoughts and the narrative, sort of making friends with the negative internal voice can be helpful. So there's kind of the mental piece, the awareness piece of being self-compassionate. And then if I'm really in a mode where I'm feeling hard on myself, like if I'm really impatient with my daughter and just feeling really sharp, I will also do some somatic acknowledgement in my body. So like telling myself to soften or telling myself to soften my throat, like a particular region where I hold a lot of tension or like the front of my head, the prefrontal cortex, right? Where we're always thinking and where all of our cognitive functioning is. And then of course, like we all know that the breath is so important. So just reminding yourself to take a few deep breaths when you notice the negative internal narrative. And I want to also add that it, you can do a lot of deep learning from this. You can start to notice that sometimes the negative internal narrative is solely based on our desire to control outcomes all the time. And so this process of either mentally letting go of the unkindness or or somatically letting go can also be a a slight letting go of our constant need and propensity to try to control every aspect of our lives. Because, spoiler alert, we can't control everything. I know, I know that's a tough one to learn. I'm still learning it. So another way to practice self-compassion, and I've talked about this on the podcast before, it's just really one of my favorite practices, but it's to think of yourself and treat yourself the way you would treat a tiny baby a tiny, helpless baby who is just doing the best they can. We all know like babies are challenging. They're loud, they're needy, they can be stinky. And we also know that they're not doing it. Uh, they're not behaving the way that they behave to be difficult. They need our love and our support and they're doing the best they can. So think of yourself that way. You're doing the best you can too at any given moment. And if babies are not your thing, think of a fur baby, think of um, a pet or just an animal that you love. Or even some people are better with small children than they are with little screaming babies. So that's another option. And then the final practice that I love, one of my favorite meditation practices is the Buddhist loving kindness meditation. And I'll write out a short, simple loving kindness meditation and put it on the show notes page. 
and, and it's a very simple practice of just extending a sense of loving kindness and safety to yourself and then to someone you love and then to a neutral person, and then to all beings. So this is just a really grounding, nice practice to get you in kind of a more open-hearted or open headspace. It's also a nice way to bring the practice to be of service to others. And, you know, when we do practices like these self-care practices, self-inquiry practices, sometimes the question comes up, is it selfish? And I think that that question could come up quite easily with a self-compassionate compassion practice. You know, are you just being too nice to yourself? I can guarantee you, money back guarantee, that when you do these practices, especially a loving kindness meditation, and when you really turn toward yourself with kindness and generosity, it will have a ripple effect on your daily interactions with people. You will feel more generous and open toward others. So that's it for today. I hope these practices are helpful to you. I hope to hear from you online. You can follow me on Instagram at Andrea Ferretti. You can always email me at support at jasonyoga.com. And you can write a review on iTunes to help the podcast. It helps enormously for more people to find the podcast. I'll put show notes with the loving kindness meditation at yogalandpodcast.com slash episode 71. And until next week, enjoy your practice.